All right, well, uh, we are picking up the story today with a family that is split down the middle. Uh, we have two brothers that are twins that have uh, sort of led different lives. One is loved by dad, one is loved by mom, uh, and they are sort of in their factions. Now, there was, to make things a little bit more difficult, this is a patriarchal family where the father is sort of in charge of everything, and everything kind of comes down from the top to everybody else, and in this situation, uh, the order of how you were born into this family really matters. It's very important. In a patriarchal family, the oldest son gets the larger share of the inheritance. He's the one that takes over the, the family and starts to care for all the rest of the people that are part of their, their crew. Wow, I just had a burp because of, of that root beer. Um, uh, and so we have kind of a conflict because before these two boys are born, before Jacob and Esau are born, God... Uh, prophesies, give a, gives a prophecy to Rebecca that the younger uh, will be in charge. The older will serve the younger. So it's out of order the way that God has designed for this family to go. And in our society, we don't necessarily think of that as a weird thing because uh, sometimes, you know, your first one's a dud, you know, and this, I'm just kidding. No, you, you generally assign to each person as they have uh, ability, right? And maybe, you know, you're probably, if you're going to get something that's an inheritance, you're probably going to get a split that's going to be fair. We really value fairness when we uh, divvy up what's left at the end of someone's life. It's not a patriarchal society, so essentially each family unit stands alone. It's also connected, but it stands alone, and so each family is going to run the family how they want to, and in most of our marriages, a lot of our marriages, we're living fairly egalitarian, fairly evenly, where we're working together as a unit to run the family. That's happening in most uh, American marriages, at least, hopefully, and so it's a very different feel than it was then, um, but we pick up the story with Jacob and Esau, who are basically, there's a split in the family. Mom loves Jacob, who's in, intense, and dad loves Esau, who's out hunting game. This is kind of how this story is going, okay? And so we're picking up uh, the passage here. I believe this is Genesis 25 here, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, the boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who's the father, had had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And that is such a sad verse, because that is actually going to be a split that happens in all of the families that are coming down the line. It's going to be an issue for each one of these patriarchal families as they go through uh, and we're going to see this become even more of an issue with wives against each other and children against each other and conflict happening in all of these families where if the parents were actually living in a way that uh, provided a, a place where they could you know, encourage each one of these kids' strengths and really see what God had created in them and call it out of them and put them in a position to be able to use their gifts in a way that it wouldn't pit them against each other, this family probably would look a whole lot different. As parents, it's our job to steward the children that we've been given, not to pit them against each other and not to live through them and not to create ourselves again in them, but to see what God has created and to steward that thing that God put in them, the passions, the gifts, the, you know, the way that he created them to live, to encourage and steward that thing out of them. And this is not what's happening in this family. And by the way, God uses very imperfect families, okay? That's going to be one of the themes 
in, in Genesis is not the faithfulness of people, but the faithfulness of God to people who are broken. Okay? And so once, it says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why we also, he is, this is why he is also called Edom, which means red, and the stew that uh, was being made uh, was a red stew or a red pottage. I don't even know if we use that word anymore, but essentially it probably smelled amazing. It probably tasted amazing. It was probably the kind of thing that you just walk into the house and it just hits you, and you're like, yes, my favorite thing, you know, like for me, this is like pot roast, you know, like when I walk into my house and the pot roast has been in the crock pot all day long, and it's like, you know, 40 degrees outside, and you walk in and that pot roast is sitting there, and you, you're like, I am going to love dinner tonight, right? Well, it says that Esau, I mean, he's a, he's a little bit of a, you know, of a drama queen here, right? It says that he was out in the open country, and he was famished, and he comes in and says, I need some of that stew, I'm famished, right? I don't necessarily think he was at the place that he is showing that he is. If he's really, really that hungry, if he's going to absolutely die in that moment, probably not going to happen, right? He's being very dramatic. And says, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. That seems like a normal thing that somebody would say to somebody. (laughs) Hey, cool, I'll tell you what. If you get a double portion, how about I get a double portion instead of you, and then you can have some of my red stew. Not a good trade. Not a good trade at all. And part of the reason why I think this is so interesting, it would, obviously it has, there, I mean, honestly, there is no uh, equivalent of this in today's modern society. We just don't have this. There's no, like, there's no brother that comes in and is like, hey, okay, why don't I have your inheritance when mom and dad die someday? Like, mom and dad aren't going to do that. No one's going to do that. That's not a thing. You can't give it away. It's not something. And also, there isn't really a, uh, the same kind of thing that we have here, like this birthright, and later on we're going to see this blessing. These two things are things that the, the parents would pass on to their children as a way of giving over control of the family, giving over control of all the stuff they have, of taking care of all the people that they take care of, of actually like giving the authority that they have and sort of giving it to uh, the next in line. And so it just doesn't really make a ton of sense, but I honestly wonder when I read this if this is not the first time Jacob has tried this. Now, he knows God had already told him ahead of time the older is going to serve the younger. I, God is going to bring about what he prophesied in that prophecy to Rebecca. Jacob doesn't need to try to force this. He doesn't need to try to earn this. He doesn't need to try to make this happen. But that's what we do. We think that we are owed something or that something's coming. And what we do is we try to make it happen. We see this as well as a theme that happens in this family where God promises something. And instead of waiting for God to do it in his timing, we try to force it. We still try to do this all the time. God promises us things, and we're trying to force them instead of letting God be in charge. My guess is Jacob, his whole life was every single time something was going down, he was like, sell me your birthright, sell me your birthright, sell me your birthright. He was like, no, no, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to do that. Like, it probably there was a bunch of times where Jacob had just probably almost worn him down, and he almost said yes. So finally he comes in from the field. He's physically uh, spent. He just wants some stew. And instead of his brother being cool and just being like, yeah, man, here you go. Here's some great stew. Sell me your birthright. He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me first. Like, enough of this. You can't halfway do it. You have to do it. Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. 
Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Wait a second, lentil stew? Doesn't even have meat in it? Get out of here. It says he ate and drank, and then he got up and left. That's That's a really sad verse. Essentially, Esau is like, okay, fine. And then he sat there with his bowl, and he ate. And when he was done, you can think about the feeling he had. Like, you would think that if you had made such a bad choice that at the end of eating that bowl, you'd be feeling like you had done something wrong or that you had uh, underappreciated what was offered to you, that you had made a mistake, that you had done the wrong thing. You would think you would probably beg your brother to undo it after you'd had that lentil, and you would have been like, I just make terrible choices when I'm hangry. Right? You would do something, and it says he was numb. He ate the stew, he got up, and he left. He ate, he drank, he got up, he left. And then the scripture explains kind of what was his state of mind. So Esau despised his birthright. He despised his position. He despised what should have been his. Essentially what he did was he traded his position because of his appetite. Now, I mean, it's Father's Day, and I, I can't help but think about the position of being a father. There's something very special about being a dad in a family and understanding the, the weight that comes with that position. And I want, you to tell, I want to tell you there's nothing sadder than when I talk to a man who has given up his position because of his appetites. Because he wasn't willing to conquer his sin in his life and find freedom in Christ over those things. And then watch his family get ripped apart and watch his kids call someone else dad while he's sitting on the outside. And it's not just dads. God has given us position in the world and oftentimes we give away that position because we have an appetite that seems like in the moment we should satisfy it with whatever happens to be in front of us But when it's done, when we've traded the position for the appetite, we walk away from that thing feeling like we got gypped. It wasn't what it should be. It didn't fill the need that we had in our our lives. It wasn't something that was satisfying at all. And the moment we thought the thing in front of us would satisfy us and would, uh, would would be great, and we did it, and then afterwards we felt like we gave away our position to satisfy our appetites. We cannot be people who operate based on our appetites. We need to be people who operate based on where God has placed us and what he has called us to do. The the author of Philippians says it like this. He says, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You have a choice. You can Grab hold of the identity that Christ has given to you as a dearly loved child, as someone who's forgiven, as someone who has purpose in this world. And you can live the way that God has called you to live or you can serve your appetites. And you know you've gotten to a bad place where you can give away your position and serve your appetite and get up and walk out of the room and not even feel the weight of the sin that you just committed. That's where Esau is. He's saying like, he's just given up to it. He just doesn't care about it anymore. He wants his brother to shut up. He doesn't want the pressure of whatever that position is. He's just willing to give it away for nothing. 
and so despised the position that God had given him. I don't know how I can call us any stronger, but we have to deal with our sin. There is consequence to sin in our lives. If we walk away from sin and we don't deal with sin, then eventually it continues to just kind of get into all the cracks, all the relationships, all the the places where we should be doing what God's called us to do, but it just kind of messes everything up and destroys everything so slightly. Each time we give in, each time we let it go, and each time we just do it again, each time we return to that place that we know we don't want to be, it just continues to destroy and continues to ruin the things that God wants to give us. And that's what's going on in this family. Now, these things aren't necessarily happening in a vacuum. I mean, this family is out of control. This family is not healthy. We've got parents who are not setting a great example for their kids. They're not living the way that they should. They're not calling their kids you know, to the way that they should live. And now the kids are doing the same thing that the parents have done in the past. And so somebody needs to break the cycle of sin and not despise the position that God has given them. I'm going to skip ahead to verse, uh, chapter 27. And the story continues on. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son... Here am I, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like. Then bring it to me to eat, so that I might give you my blessing before I die. Now here's Isaac basically saying, I don't care what God said about who was going to serve who. The way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to prefer the son that I love more, the one that I want to prefer, and I'm going to give him the blessing. And the blessing is a little bit different than uh, the birthright, right? So one is uh, a little bit more um, like a, this is sort of like a last will and testament. Also, fathers in the Old Testament would often bless many of their kids or potentially all of their kids. In fact, Jacob, later on, we see him blessing all of his sons and giving some sort of blessing or potentially some sort of like curse even to some of his sons and like leaving them with like almost a prophecy of what God would be doing in their life. And it's sort of a last will and testament. The birthright is definitely more of the like legal side of things. It's like the, it's the inheritance, it's the, it's the authority. But this birthright would have been uh, one thing and the blessing would have been another and it would have been very, very important to anyone. In fact, I think all of us long to be blessed One of the problems that we see in this story is that dad waits to bless the kids until it's the last second. You have a chance as dads and as moms to bless your kids all along, and all of us desire this blessing. In fact, most of our issues come from this desire to be blessed by our parents or to be blessed by the people around us. We're seeking that out. We're trying to figure out how to find that thing. And when you live in a family where it doesn't exist, it can lead you down some really strange paths. And so he says, I mean, essentially Isaac is like, I don't care what God said, I'm going to do it my way. And the verse goes on, it says, now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And we don't know if she was sort of like, you know, like hanging out outside the flap, trying to listen in to what was going on in the other room, or if he was just so old and senile that he's just yelling over cable news in the other room. And so everybody in the entire tent knew what was going on. Um, both of those are probably probable. But it's interesting because Rebecca 
and Jacob are aligned. And later on, we're going to see Rebekah's brother Laban is a pretty big deceiver and liar. So you can assume that some of the stuff she picked up in her family of origin is very deceptive and based on lying. And so Rebekah is essentially going to try to force what God promised to undo what Isaac's trying to force and not listening to what... Man, we got some problems here, okay? So he says, When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I've overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I may prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. This is getting so convoluted and so deceptive and all these lies are starting to kind of ravel here. And Jacob, it says, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and he would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. He asks a very appropriate question. He's like, mom, I don't know if you've noticed, but Harry is super hairy and I am like a dove model, right? Like... <laughs> I got the smooth skin, okay? And so I'm going to get like a couple feet from dad. He's going to reach out and grab and go, you ain't Esau. I know what's going on here. Also, he's like, mom, this is probably wrong and I don't want to get a cursing. So we, we should do it. Let's just make sure we don't get caught. Like, how are we going to do this? We need to make sure we don't get, get caught. Their, their answer to how to do this is hysterical, but it just shows you they're looking for a way to, to trick an old man, basically. That they're trying to find a way to lie, deceive, and instead of listening to the prophecy that God had brought about, essentially they're trying to force this prophecy. They've got the, they've got the birthright and now they want the blessing. They're working together to deceive. You know, I, I think sometimes when, we, when I talk to people, uh, about kind of the decisions that they're making in their life, a lot of times it's like I'll be having a conversation and they'll ask me kind of, hey, can you tell me what the Bible says about this thing? Or can you tell me how you've dealt with this sort of, this issue? And I can tell I'm having a conversation with them, but you, you know how you can like sometimes read someone's face and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that, right? There's essentially something there where it's like, I'd love to know what actually the Bible says about it, but it doesn't mean I'm actually going to follow through on it. Right? And you can almost see this thing come over someone's face when you're having this conversation where they just kind of shut you off. They're just not really interested in how they really should live. They just want to somehow find a way to justify the behavior that they want to, to do. It's a bad place to be. It's a bad place for this family to be. It goes on. It says, his mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and get them for me. Right? So she says, I'll take the blame if this goes down. You, know, you don't have to take the blame for the sin that you're going to, to bring about. I'll take the blame. This, this kind of just brings me back to the garden, right? You've got a situation where Eve, you know, she picks and hands it up. And then what does Adam do? The first thing that Adam do, does when he gets caught, he basically says, uh, she did it. And then what does is, what is, uh, he say then to God? She did it, and you put her here. It's, not, it's her fault and your fault. 
right? So he's already got a plan when he gets caught to say, it was my mom who made me did it, and you chose her. I got stuck with her. You chose her, right? He's got like an out. He says, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way he liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house. She put them on her younger son, Jacob. See, deception. Then she covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. She covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the, the goat skins. Um, wow, Esau is messed up, man. <laughs> That's a hairy dude. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. She's like, the only way he's going to buy it is if we put you in his clothes and if we cover you in hairy goat fur. Messed up. Says he went into his father and he said, my father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? He said, the Lord your God gave me success. And so what do we see here? This deception causes us to go to a place where we have to lie and lie and lie. And what eventually happens when we find ourselves in this deceptive pattern is that eventually we blame it on God. Eventually, we bring God into the picture, and we, we basically make him a co-conspirator in our deception. And you know you've fooled yourself at times, and you've said, you know, I really feel like God is calling me to do this thing. And in reality, you know it's the thing you should not do, but you're going to spiritualize it, and you're going to pin it on God, and you're going to say, he's the one that caused me to do it. When everybody else in your life, all the people that you asked said, don't do it, <laughs> the Bible clearly tells you not to do it, all of these Things point towards a place where you shouldn't do it. And when you get to a place where there's no one else to lean on, you just go, you know, it's what God wants. Like When you get to a place where you're starting to pin it on God, you know you're in trouble. Right? The, the New Testament talks about it in a little bit different way. It says, like, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with your sin. Don't drag the Holy Spirit, which dwells inside of you as a believer, which lives inside of you. Don't bring the Holy Spirit into places where you are sinning and you know you're doing it, and you're doing it on purpose, and you're bringing the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. There's no way to separate you. You can't take off the Holy Spirit and put it away. Essentially, when you go and sin somewhere and you know you shouldn't, you're bringing God into your own pattern of sin, and grieving the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is there watching you make the wrong choice, not listening to the Holy Spirit that's moving in your life, doing what you want, and using God as your scapegoat. And so he says, the Lord your God gave me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. He's like, something's fishy here. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. I just can't get over it. I'm sorry. I just can't. He's that hairy. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. He's like, I, I don't have all of my faculties here. I, I can't decide by, by looking. I, I, my, I can't hear that well, so I'm not 100% sure what I'm listening to. 
But man, I know that what I'm touching is my, my son Esau. And he says, are you really Esau? And again, he says, I am. Again, he further steps into the sin by saying, uh, affirming another time the deception. Then he said, my son, bring me some of that game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. So two, two things going on here. First is that the same issues that Esau had with his stomach are at play here. The thing that, uh, that we see Isaac worshiping is this wild game and this stew essentially is the thing that he wants more than anything else and wants his son to bring to him. And wants his, you know, once he uh, affirms that it's him, you know, that, that he will bless him. And then, it, and then it also says here, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him. And so we see another person in Scripture being betrayed by a kiss. This is a common thing that happens in Scripture a few times, that someone is betrayed by a kiss. And this is what happens when Judas kisses Jesus in the garden. That betrayal is sealed sometimes with intimacy. It's the person that's closest to you that can do the most amount of damage and harm to you. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. That's just weird. I don't know. I hope no one ever is like, hey, it's you. I smell a musty field. That was the first essential oil. They were using oak. And then he gives him a blessing. And listen to how amazing this blessing is. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness. An abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. So he invokes this, this blessing of prosperity onto Jacob. And he says, I, all these people will be serving you, including your brothers, including what's happening in this family. And he even invokes the, the covenant that God made first with Abraham. And he talks about the idea that those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. In other words, I'm passing on to you the covenant that God has made with our family. From your grandfather to your father to you, I'm now going to hand off this covenant that God has given to us. I hope that we are doing this on a regular basis with our kids and not waiting until the last minute to pass this on. I hope that we are saying to our kids, I bless you now. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus now. I want you to go and live this beautiful life that Christ has for you right now and avoid all of the issues that come with not following Jesus. All the pain and separation and the difficulty of life when you don't have God as part of your life. I hope that we're giving this on an ongoing basis as we bless people in our lives. And I look, dads, you have a special position, but it's also moms and family members, and it's also those of us who are, uh, you know, spiritual parents and grandparents of people that we are discipling, and it's small group leaders who are passing on the blessing to the people in their group, and it's pastors and staff members, and it's those who in this church are leaders who are get a chance to bless the people all around us. We all want this. We want somebody to say that there's something here for you, that God has a plan for you, that there's a, a, a beauty in how he created you, that you have passions and giftings and that there's 
purpose you can have right now. I hope that's the blessing that we're giving each other all the time. We're not waiting till the very last minute. We're not withholding it from other people. But if you belong to Christ, all of these things are yours. And then it goes on. It says, after Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat. Have some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. And his father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. And if they had listened to God's prophecy before we ever got to this point, indeed, he would have already been blessed. It says, when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, father. You know, when it comes to our kids, we, gotta, we can either deal with the temper tantrums at four, or we can deal with the temper tantrums at 40. Like, it, they don't go away. And if we're leading our children down the right path, we have to deal with them when they first come. And show these kids what it looks like to actually be someone who follows after God and lives a healthy life. And Esau never learned this. He's throwing a temper tantrum even in this moment. And I love how Isaac trembled violently when he heard he was tricked. It's amazing to me how when someone gets very close to repentance, right? And if you've ever been in a situation where someone has, uh, has shared with you something really dark and really deep, something that they don't share with a lot of people. You know, I probably, as a pastor, have been in situations a little bit more than the average person where I've had people tell me things that they wouldn't tell other people. And this is how it usually goes. Usually when someone's about to tell you something, they don't want to make eye contact with you. Sometimes they are literally shaking as they're letting the thing come out of their mouth that's had power over them that they've been hiding and they've not wanted to share with people and they've not wanted to let out. And there's almost like a, a, a physical uh, anxiety in them. And you know what happens when you repent? You let that thing out. You take away the power. You share it with somebody else. They are able to pray over you and encourage you and move you to another place. And you know what happens once you get on the other side of that thing? You have this incredible peace, this incredible uh, freedom that comes from just letting this thing out. So He's shaking violently because of the anxiety of the moment of what just happened. And what needs to happen in this family is repentance. He said, but he said, your brother came deceitfully and he took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time that he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he has taken my blessing. Right? Because it's never his fault. It's always somebody else taking advantage of him. He said, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all of his relatives your servants, his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing? Bless me too. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother 
and when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off your neck. It's, it's so sad because Esau despised what was his and gave it away for nothing, for an appetite. You know what I find very interesting as this story continues to go on where God defines himself. He says, what God are you? And he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. And it's not Esau. The Bible would look way different if Esau hadn't despised his birthright, if he hadn't thrown it away for his appetite, if he had learned to be a healthy person from the beginning. Right? All those times where it says, I am the God of Jacob, I am the God of Israel, would be I am the God of Esau. But Esau threw away what was his because he couldn't control his appetites. And God is laying out in front of us a life that is incredible. Jesus said that he came to give us the best possible life. And we have the ability to grab hold of that life and live it. But if we let our appetites rule us, then we will give away the position that God has ordained for us from the beginning of time. When God says, you are this and this and this, and we will throw those things away so that we can serve our sin and our appetites. This story is not fun. Like, who's the hero here? There's no hero. The hero will come in 2,000 years where Jesus will live a perfect, sinless life, and he will correct all the wrongs, and he will bring us back into relationship with God. In this story, there's no hero. Jacob is not a hero. Esau is not a hero. Isaac is a failed parent. Rebecca is a failed parent. But yet this family is still experiencing the blessing of God who is faithful throughout all time and does what he says he will do. If only we would grab hold of it. Let me pray. Jesus, would you show us the ways of ourselves where we are serving our own sin, where we are serving our own pride, where we are serving our own way? Will you root those things out of us? Will you give us humility and allow us to repent, to, to ask for forgiveness and move in a different direction? God, we want to be the, the, the people that accept the blessing, that accept the birthright, that understand who we are in you. Thank you for not preferring any of us, but offering this same blessing and birthright to all of us, this eternal blessing and birthright. Thank you for coming and being the hero of the story, even though we look at these imperfect people who are trying to figure this thing out. Thank you for being a faithful God who loves us in spite of our own selves. God, would you just show us what sin, what selfishness, what pride stands in the way of us taking the position that you want to offer us. In Jesus' name.